I had meant to, um, to share during our prayer time, or to say, just to remind us as part of our prayers beyond um, ourselves, um, to, to in, in all seriousness, it, kind of, it was kind of funny at first uh, this week as, as we were watching um, all the snow piling up in Buffalo. You know, because it's, ha-ha, look at them, they're snowed in. It's, you know, relatively warm down here. Um, and, and that comes not out of any, any heart of malice. That comes from a place of, of ignorance. I'm a Florida kid. I don't know what five foot of snow looks like. I've never seen it. Um, but as the, you know, as the kind of the week went on, I realized how serious that is. And now they're talking about flood warnings. And so I say that very sincerely, um, you know, those of you that have lived in those parts of the country for God knows why. Um, uh, I know that's why a lot of you are here right now. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, as they're talking, you know, if you've watched the news, they're saying now as it starts to warm up, flood warnings. That's just crazy. So, um, like I said, I, I, I didn't, when I said it was kind of a ha-ha, it certainly was no malice intention, but it just, it seemed pretty benign, but realizing that it's not. They talked about one, um, uh, the, the girls' basketball team from Niagara, is that the college up there? They got stuck on their bus for 30 hours. Yeah, that ain't, that's no joke. So, um, anyway. So we seriously, I know some of you are from that area, so we want to want to pray pray for those folks. Um, we uh, we turn for the final sermon this week in this series um, back to Isaiah forty nine. As we conclude uh, the series, we kind of took a break from last week as Jennifer was here to share, um, but called God knows, and we've talked. Um, each week about certain aspects of our lives, intimate realities that God is um, personally familiar with, that God's with us in the midst of. God knows um, our name, names us, claims us. God knows the pain that we experience, the pain that we carry, the wounds of life. God knows our fears. And today we finish with purpose. And so I want to read again Isaiah 49. Verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. Before my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up, princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. 
Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, help us to live into our chosenness as your people and to understand what that means, the implication that has upon our lives, the call you've placed before us. Speak to us by your word. Speak into us through your Holy Spirit and give us ears to hear. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. I had a, a conversation, this was years ago, this was in my early um, days of, of ministry, and I was having a conversation one day, just kind of a random conversation, with a, with a gentleman in the church who was, um, you know, a few decades older than I was at that time, and um, he, was, he was struggling, as, as many of us do, with, um, with his health, he was, he was struggling with his weight faithful servant of, of Jesus and, and um, passionate follower. And uh, he had started a kind of, he had gotten connected, and I don't remember where it was, but it was kind of in a, in a, in a weight loss group, if you will. It was kind of a group um, support system to try to help him get healthier. And, and so he had started that. I knew he'd started it a few weeks ago, and, and I remember asking him at the time, I said, he said, um, so, you know, what are you doing? And he said, we haven't started that part yet. You haven't started that part yet. Because I said, haven't you been kind of in the group a couple weeks? And he said, yeah, but we haven't gotten to the what yet. We're still dealing with the why. Now, this was kind of new. This is a concept that, that is more familiar to me now, but, but I didn't immediately connect. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, we've spent a couple weeks just talking about why it's important for us to be healthier, why this matters, why we're a part of this group. And as he shared, he said, you know, a lot of the, the group has, has talked about the fact they just, they don't want to die. They, they don't, they don't want to die before their time. They, they're afraid uh, of their health and those kind of implications. And uh, he said, but for me, he's like, I'm not afraid to die. He's like, but I want to fully live. And he started talking about the things that he wanted to live for. He started talking about his family. He started talking about the things he felt God had called him to do and why it mattered to him to be as healthy as he could, to do these things as faithfully as he could. And, and it was a profound conversation because I realized as I look back on that, when he was answering the why question, why it mattered, why he wanted to be healthier, he was speaking into purpose. He was speaking into to what he understood to be the purpose in which God had, had called him, the purpose in which God had created him to, to be a father to his kids, a husband to his wife, but, but even deeper than that, in the ways God had called him to serve and to, to make a difference in the lives of others. The why question, the why question is profoundly important for us. The why question speaks to our drive, to our understanding of who we are and who God has called us to be. The why question speaks to our purpose. In fact, uh, there was a survey that I came across randomly from a few years ago that was done by USA Today. And the question was, if you could ask God any question for an, and get an immediate response, what would your question be? 
And I would have thought the number one question would be around the, the question of evil or why bad things happen. And that certainly was, was on the list. But the most um, frequently asked question was this. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why, why have you made me? It was that question of, of purpose. And I, I will confess to you that as I kind of developed this sermon out this week, um, there are moments um, that I ask profound why questions. And my why question this week was, why did I pick this subject to preach on today? Um, because it seemed, it seemed um, like too big a topic to try to address in, in one sermon. I mean, the, the question of purpose. Uh, Rick Warren made his name writing books about this kind of a thing, wonderful books. And there are tons of books out there that, that speak in layers to, to that question of, of purpose in our lives. And, and I will confess to you, we're kind of doing a surface-level look today. But maybe we'll help you drill a little bit deeper into that question of why in your own life. Because there's some powerful truths that speak to all of us that God then begins to reveal uniquely in each of us. So, why? There's a book that was written recently called... Uh, Thank God It's Monday, uh, by an author by the name of Tim Hoare. And um, he talks about his brother Ben in the book. His brother um, was or is an executive pastor at a large uh, Midwest church. And at some point in his ministry, as, as is not an uncommon occurrence, he began to question his, his call. He began to question whether or not he was in the right place. Uh, Tim writes that his brother was, was a gifted musician, um, gifted in, in rhetoric and, and um, literature. I mean, just brought a lot of gifts into to ministry. But, but, he was be, but his brother was becoming frustrated at seeing other people that seemed to be doing better, that seemed to be enjoying it more. And he started to question whether he could really, his gifts were even cut out um, for ministry. He began to play the game that, that we fall into in life of comparison, which can become very, very dangerous. And uh, in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that searching and wondering what his own purpose was, he, he came across the words found in John chapter 17, verse 4, that Jesus speaks toward the end of his ministry when he says, I have completed the things that I was sent to do. I have completed the things that I was sent to do. And all of a sudden, Tim writes, it for his brother. That was his purpose. Now that doesn't sound very specific, nor is it. But he understood that what his call was, was to do the things that God had sent him to do. To complete those things in his life. It wasn't about what somebody else was doing. It wasn't about whether that pastor down the street was doing it this way, or that pastor, uh, you know, the next city over had a bigger church or a higher salary. But what was he called to do? And that's the question for each of us. That'd be, what are we called to do? And that's exactly what Isaiah speaks into. That's exactly what God speaks into, into this passage of Isaiah, because there's two levels to this, 
challenge in our lives. There's two levels to this truth about finding our purpose and understanding our uniqueness in our relationship with God. And, and there is within Isaiah chapter 49, there's an implicit promise and an explicit promise. The implicit promise is God's presence. And when I say it's implicit, it's because we kind of have to read into it and understand the Scripture a little bit. You know, for three weeks, really what we've talked about is this implicit promise of our faith, and that is God's presence. Each week has really been one level of understanding how God is present with us, how God speaks into our lives before we are born, how God names us and claims us. That's relationship. How God is present with us in the midst of the difficulties of our lives, the pains that we experience, the heartbreak that we experience, the, the, the dejection sometimes that we experience. How God redeems that, delivers us in the midst of us. That's relationship. And then how God is present in the midst of our fears to speak courage and hope and conviction into our lives. That's relationship. So for three weeks, we've talked about what God does for us, what God does in us, what God does to us. And now, week four, we get to the explicit promise, and that is what God does through us. And that is the call that God has placed in our lives. And I call that explicit because when you read Isaiah 49, you can't not see it. You have to try not to recognize that there is a specific call placed here. In verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant. And then to verse 5, and the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb, named me and claimed me in the womb, to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and the God has been my strength. So, see, he understands that he's been given a call. And at first, his understanding is that call is to bring the people of Israel back to faith, to bring them back to restoration, be the mouthpiece, as a prophet is, to the people, to call them back into the relationship with God. It is a very specific call that God places on his life. It is his understanding of purpose. And I admire, and, and I'm overwhelmed sometimes when I read those scripturally and others who are so clear, who have such a clear understanding of what God has called them to do. Because here's the honest truth, I've not always felt that way. Even in ministry sometimes, I struggle with understanding exactly what it is the purpose that God has called me, who God's called me to be, and how God has called me to live out my ministry. So I'm going to venture a guess that I'm not the only one that has felt that way. I was, I was reading um, recently the, some of the, the details of the, the, the tragic 1912 expedition of, um, I'm going to blank on the first name, it was Falcon Scott, and I forgot the first name, that, that he led an expedition to the South Pole in, in 1912, that they got to the South Pole, but they, the, the party died, um, perished on their attempt to retur return. And um, in the journals and things, they were talking about the fact that in the blizzard conditions they were experiencing, they could, there was no horizon. It was just white. The white of the snow, the white of the, the horizon, they could not get any sense of bearing. And uh, they thought they were traveling in a straight line until they started to find their own tracks again. And they were, they were doing circles. 
and they tried, and it talks about some of the things, they tried throwing snowballs in the true south direction so it would give them some sort of bearing. But, but it was really that understanding of sometimes, have you ever felt that way in your life where you just feel like, I'm just covering the same ground over and over and over again. I'm going in circles. And I've felt that way sometimes, that I'm going in circles. And I think when we find ourselves in that place, it's because we've, we've lost our why a little bit. We've, we've failed to, to open ourselves up fully. That's not a failure, but, but that God is speaking into us as he did to his prophet, the purpose. The purpose. And, and the purpose is to be servants. You know, the, the purpose for us is to understand that, that what God does in us is so that God can work through us. Just like he says to Isaiah. I mean, the, the promise is, yes, I'm with you. Yes, I've claimed you at birth. Yes, I am with you in the midst of your pain. Yes, I'm giving you courage in the, in the face of your fears. But that is not just for you. That is so you will be my servant. That's because I've given you something to do. You have a task. You have a challenge. You have an opportunity. You have an obligation to go forth and to be the voice that I will use to call my people back to faithfulness. Paul says, 2 Timothy 2.21, he says that when we're, and I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, when, we, when we're obedient, that we become vessels of honor, instruments of noble purpose, if you will, to be used according to God's call upon our lives. And so for us, our purpose becomes about looking like Jesus, about being faithful to the one who's called us to discipleship, about being servants. Now, you say to me, well, that's a very broad um, term. What does that look like for me? Well, that's for you to figure out. <laughs> I mean, it is broad. It is a 30,000-foot a, a view, if you will, because the beauty is that God speaks uniquely into each of our lives. That God's created you uniquely with your gifts and your talents. But don't ever lose sight that God has spoken purpose to you. That in naming you and, and in being with you, that God has, has spoken a purpose. And that purpose is to be instruments. To be servants. To be like Jesus. And, and to follow according to His plan upon our lives. In fact, it's really, really interesting and this is, this is easy to miss. But, but Isaiah had, or the prophet here, had a very narrow understanding. In fact, he had a limited understanding of what his purpose was. Because I want you to hear again. He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, verse 5, to bring back Jacob to him and gather Israel to himself. See, what he understood was that God's calling me to bring the people of Israel, my people, back. The people that, that look like me, the people that share my, my heritage and my ethnicity, that God's called me to bring them back to faith. Okay, so th that's what he understands. But, but I want you to hear how this shifts very, very quickly. For he says, the Lord says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. What he's saying is that's too narrow. That's too small. You're not thinking big enough. Hear this. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And what he says is you're going to be an instrument for all people. And, and what is profound here is he's not just talking to one individual. He's talking to the entire nation. 
He's talking to the entire people of Israel. And God is saying to them, you are the instruments that I want to use to be light for all. I talked months ago about the fact this is where the Israelites fell short so often in their history. They forgot their call to not just be a light to themselves, but to be a light to all nations, to be the instrument, to be the people, to be the vehicle that God would use to shine the light of his love for everyone. Our purpose is to be a light. I mean, again, I know that's broad. The question for you is, how is God calling you to shine that light? But we are called to be the light. This isn't just about you. This isn't just about, this is about us. Because we're people. We are God's people. And we're called to shine the light of Christ. We sat in here Wednesday night at the the night of Thanksgiving, celebrating the meal together as as Ray shared and those who who made that possible. And, And for those of you that were here, you heard me say this. But, but I shared with those who had gathered that it was the first meal, the first large meal we were sharing in this place as a congregation in a building and a facility that is 100% paid off. We have no more debt here. This is ours. Well, this is, this is the Lord's who he's entrusted to us. Let me phrase that far more powerfully. And we have a lot of people to thank for that. But inevitably, when, when that gets shared, people start to ask the question, as we've been asking, what's next? Where, where, what's, what's next? We, we look around and we see a congregation that's growing. And, you know, are we going to build again? Are we going to do another building? Are we going to do another sanctuary? And those are all questions that we are asking and we're exploring. But I want to tell you something. Before we get to the what question, as a church, we've got to answer the why question. Why? Who's God in this time calling us? How is God calling us to be a light? Because we can't be all things to all people. But in parish, in 2014, in 2015, in 2016, in this time, why is God called us? And in what ways is God leading us to be reflectors of his light and his grace? We have to answer that before we can know what we're going to do. And that's true for each of us. Why? Why? What's your why? Because God has spoken purpose into your life. The moment he claimed you, he spoke purpose to be the light to the nations, to shine the light of his love. Once you've embraced that, once you've owned that, once you've claimed it, then you can begin to answer the how. How does that look in your life? What is that mean and how is that lived out that may be as a light to many it may be as a light to one it's not important the numbers it's important that you're willing to live into it because that's who we're called to be i want to share this with you because i found this is a profound story and a challenging story as we prepare uh, to close this morning i don't know how many of you are familiar um with uh, Albert Schweitzer, the, the, the doctor and, and evangelist in a lot of ways, wrote The Quest for the Historical Jesus many years ago. Um, if you're familiar with the name, or even if you're not, um, he was uh, left of center theologically, I guess would be. He was considered very liberal for his time, and um, probably still would be considered very liberal for his time. 
And, and I don't say that in any way to judge him, but to set the story up, because you need to understand that in order to, to understand this story. Because this story comes from um, one of the most renowned preachers, Dr. Fred Craddock, and he writes about an encounter he had with Albert Schweitzer many years ago. He says, I think I was 20 years old when I read Albert Schweitzer's Quest for the Historical Jesus. I found his Christology lacking more water than wine. I marked it up, wrote in the margins, raised questions of all kinds. And one day I read in the Knoxville News Sentinel that Albert Schweitzer was going to be in Cleveland, Ohio to play a dedicatory concert for a big organ in the big church up there. According to the article, he would remain afterward in the Fellowship Hall for conversation and refreshment. I bought a Greyhound bus ticket and went to Cleveland. All the way up there, I worked on this quest for the historical Jesus. I laid out my questions. I made references to the pages. I figured if there was a conversation in the fellowship hall, there'd be room for a question or two. I went there. I heard the concert. I rushed into the fellowship hall, got a seat in the front row, and waited with my lap, in, with my lap of questions. After a while, he came in, shaggy hair, big white mustache, stooped, a 75-year-old. He had played a marvelous concert. You know, he was a master organist, a medical doctor, philosopher, biblical scholar, lecturer, writer, everything. He came in with a cup of tea and some refreshments and stood in front of the group, and there I was, close. Dr. Schweitzer thanked everybody. You've been very warm, hospitable to me. I thank you for it, and I wish I could stay longer among you, but I must go back to Africa. I must go back to Africa because my people are poor and diseased and hungry and dying, and I have to go. We have a medical station in Lamborghini. If there's anyone here in this room who has the love of Jesus, would you be prompted by that love to go with me and help me? I looked down at my question, writes Fred Craddock. They were so absolutely stupid. And I learned again what it means to be Christian, and had hopes that someday I could be that. Fred Craddock was in the presence of a man who understood his purpose. He understood his purpose to serve Christ by serving others. Here's the truth. And that's our purpose. That's our purpose. The question for us is how does that get lived out? How do you live out your purpose? How do I live out my purpose. And how are we going to live out our purpose? God knows our name. God knows our pain. God knows our fear. But hear this. God knows our purpose. Question for us is, are we going to listen? Hear it as he speaks it into us and respond in obedience. In three ways, he speaks into us. In this way, he challenges us to allow him to speak through us that we would be obedient to our purpose. Let's pray. Gracious God, you've called us to serve. That's the way of Jesus. That's who we're called to follow. Help us to be faithful to that, to live into that, whatever way that is. Help us to, to hear your voice, to answer that question of why, and then know the question of what. What are you calling us to do? Give us ears to hear, we pray in Christ Jesus' holy name.